Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited horror author Josh Mallerman to talk about Anne Rice. He has been reading through her books and wanted to chat about both her vampire and witch series. I was more than happy to oblige. We talk about her craft and world building, as well as the impact she had on horror, but we also take an honest look at some of her problematic elements, both on and off the page. I am really happy with this well-rounded discussion, and I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. It was a real treat for me. I've included some Josh Mallerman and Anne Rice titles in my online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. Any purchase you make using my link will help towards the cost of the podcast. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Now, on to the show. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Josh. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm super excited for this. Well, you were the one who put the call out. I, this was not actually my idea. This was yours. Yeah, I put out the bat signal, except it was in the silhouette <laughs> of Anne Rice. And I was like, who wants to talk Anne Rice? And, and you responded. <laughs> awesome. Well, I responded because I love that you're, you know, you're an established horror writer going back and reading a classic, at this point, classic horror writer. So you are just now kind of uh, going through her oeuvre. Um, and so I was curious, like what set you on the Anne Rice train? Great question. So my relationship with her just started probably where most people's does, which was interview and the witching hour. So every, about once a year, I think I read a novel out loud to my fiance, Allison. And I hadn't read interview and I loved the movie when I was younger. I read it to her and I could not believe how good that book was. I felt like Interview with the Vampire was Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, Dr. Jekyll. Like it was in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Like this is a classic. This is, this is not just a great idea or a great book. This is the writing itself. I was smitten as I'm reading it out loud to Allison. And then like maybe the next year, because I, at the time, I was like, I don't want to read about Lestat becoming a rock star. I'm not going to read book two, you know? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 but whatever. This first one, though. And then a year later, I'm like, well, what about the witch one? So I read all, you know, 1,100 pages or whatever it was out loud to Allison. And that book gets wild. And what I didn't really realize was years later, uh, now we're pretty much current, I had set the basis for getting into both her vampires and witches. I didn't even really know that I'd done that. Right. And Interview is a book that I've been talking about, you know, anytime I'm around horror fans or uh, fellow writers, I'll be like, have you read Interview? Have you read Interview? You know, like that one is Frankenstein level, you know? And so finally I'm like, well, dude, why haven't you read book two? Like you're always talking about, it's weird how we do that, right? I walked well, the like, same path though. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it's so strange because you're like, you, not only did I like book one, I mean, adored, loved, and I didn't even open book two for like five years later. So I started reading it. And, and at first I'm like, okay, here's the rock star thing. And then I was like, but wait a minute, this is, this is unbelievable too. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when I realized that Lestat was, some people could even argue it's, it's better. And I know certain readers like it even more. I, I, I think probably interviews an unassailable, like sort of masterpiece horror novel. Isn't the rock star one book three? 
No, book two, the, the vampire Lestat is where that begins. But book three, I think, is the it's actual so show. It's, well, the Queen of the Damned, I think, is the actual show itself. So, okay. so like, there's all this buildup in book two. It's like his backstory, but he, he already starts the band and all that. I and then he, about that. And then it ends with like at the show. And then book three is a recounting of all the event, events surrounding the show and after. So you're right. Like book three really is like, that's more of a centerpiece, but he starts to become a rock star in book two. So I can't even believe I'm like talking or even able to talk about that. Cause for, you know, you go to used bookstores, you yes. go to the horror section and how many times like certain books kind of look out at you. You always see the vampire list at you always yes. see like certain books are always looking at you and you're like, no, I'm not reading the rock star one. I'd rather read anything, you know? So to actually now be able to discuss this with you is, is mind bending. So to, to keep my answer a little bit shorter, that's my initiation was probably like you said, what maybe mo a lot of people have. I think interview was amazing. I mean, I still think it's, it's, and it did a lot of work for one thing it did. Um, she wrote it in the seventies. I think it was like 1976 or something when it was published. And so when you think about the context, I mean, Gothic romance was very big. And I think she's coming from that school, to be honest, there's a lot of parallels with setting and everything, except hers was very Southern Gothic at that point, at least for part of the book. Um, she took that romanticism and put it somewhere else, but she, you know, so Gothic, I still consider Gothic romance horror because it has elements of both but what she's doing um keep in mind that in the romance element in the 70s even in the world of romance and because i straddle both worlds i'll speak to this and it is relevant romance in the 70s had to deal with patriarchy and the reason why that's important is because sex on the page was only allowed through rape Yay, patriarchy. So the term bodice ripper is actually a reference to non-consensual sex through because that was the only way they were able to have it on the page. And if the reason why that's relevant with Anne Rice is because I do believe she's coming from that school of like gothic romance and horror, you know, kind of coming together. And I think um she's working within that construct because there's a lot of innuendo in these books or at least an interview um it is very sexy mm -hmm. but uh it's definitely more laced in the monster than than what we were used to seeing from just gothic romance i think she took it a step further if that makes any sense well I, okay so let's bring me back to like i'm a teenager right yeah and I go into bookstores and anything with a black spine and red letters, I'm like, I want to read it, you know? Anne Rice to me back then, other people said to me that it was like, oh, it's like sexy or oh, it's erotic or oh, you know, this. So I, I literally thought that all her books, you know, I'm talking teenage years, obviously I've been sure. different since then. I literally thought it was like, oh, this is for people that want to read about like sex scenes or sexy things. I literally thought that, not having any idea about the actual writing itself. Right the character development, the character of Claudia, um, who's a genius invention. I, so I, like, I almost feel like there was, talk about patriarchy, I almost feel like there was like, a lot of boys were like, oh, that's not them, them. No, I don't want to read about it. Like that, that's like yeah. a romance book. That's like this. That's and fair. Then, yeah, and then to how red did I turn years later when I'm reading it to Alice and I realized, oh my God, I had like unintentionally like never turned to an absolute genius like masterpiece book because like, I just kind of was told that it wasn't for me. 
Well, and that's, but see, that's what romance writers have always had to contend with because they're, they're kicked around more than any other genre, even though they keep the lights on for publishing because over 20% or 25% of sales are, are romance sales wow. um, in the entire publishing industry. Oh yes. Wow. I did not know that. We keep the lights on for everybody else. Um, <laughs> so, but despite that, they're the most because of patriarchy and because internalized misogyny too. I was the book snob who wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole because I was under the impression I had to read other kinds of things. I've talked about this in previous episodes because it matters about when you come to something, just like you were saying, I didn't pick this up because I, for years, I thought it was this. And then you discover that you'd been missing out this whole time. Right. And I want God to be able And romance to- is just like that because Mary Stewart was writing at the same time at this interview came out. And so is Victoria Hull, all this amazing stuff, but nobody like, like a, a dude like you wouldn't have picked it up. You know? I have a couple of Mary Stewart books here that look so, the covers are so amazing. They're like hard covers and I haven't read those. They're awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's a beloved favorite people. And the thing is, is people still go back to those. Yeah. So that's amazing. So have those. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's strange. Uh, what you were just talking about, it's almost like I don't even know who tells you this really, but you're supposed to read like maybe something higher, higher literature, that right, that those kind of words. And I went on sort of a bender. I had like I said, I had been reading horror novels when I was younger. Then in college or whatever, I kind of went on a classics bender where I was reading, you know, Virginia Woolf, Hemingway, yes. Faulkner, you know. And then that led me to, I don't know if you remember, Barnes and Noble used to have like their own classic section. Oh yeah, they still yeah. do. They still do, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm going through them like one by one, of Mice and Men, uh, uh, To the Lighthouse, da 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 and, and then Dracula. And I was like, oh, oh, I haven't read a horror novel in a while. This, again, I'm like 21 at this time. And I was like, I'm gonna read a horror novel in a minute, like like years, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this one. And, and Dracula was the one that like slapped me, reminded me like, hey, dude, you can do both at once. Yes. You can write genre and a classic at the same time. Yeah. And so what you're telling me right now, I, I almost, I mean, I would love actually for you to send me, to get me started on the romance path. Yes. <gasps> I've got such good ones. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll send right. you a list. Yeah. Um, and of course it's going to be like anything else because uh, as far as like with horror, like there's certain types that I like in romance and certain types I don't because it's not my jam. So it would be the same for you too. Like because I was a librarian, I'm also way up into the whole, it's called reader's advisory. So asking the right questions to get you exactly the kind of thing you would like. So be be prepared for questions when I hit you up for that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, just so that I can figure out your particular jam, but I'm going to say something to you, Josh, that's going to be, and it's, absolutely been on my my previous episodes so this isn't new but I'm not sure what you've listened to before for me so all of this is such a cool conversation to have with you because like my perception and my perspective is very similar but I'm a woman of color walking that path and so my experience is going to vary because of that specifically. I spent high school busting my ass to be taken seriously because if if you are not extra as a person of color when you're a teenager, if you are not extra, especially in the 80s and 90s, you were not taken seriously by your teachers. You had to work twice as hard for your teacher to 
take you seriously. Um, so I was busting my ass trying to read all those classics in high school and, you know, William Faulkner and all of that. Like I was just, you know, not finding myself, but I was like, well, this is, this is canon. So this is what I need to do. And there were things I loved. I mean, I'm still a Shakespeare junkie, you know, he's a problematic fave, but, (laughs) but, you know, when I got to college is when I found literature and writers that looked like me. And so I went in a different direction. I went on a bender with like Latina writers and going, oh my gosh, what can, and then feminist writers too. And I was reading nonfiction works about feminists and stuff, but I discovered a lot of really cool things, even if it was genre, like and unfortunately, Miss of Avalon was one of them. I mean, I, I loved that book until I found out she was a monster just a few years ago. But yeah. um, well, uh, not to cut you off, Allison just read that. And then spectacular you, book. And then you then find out she's a monster. Yeah, she went and like, Allison, like it was just re- after reading the series, Allison Wikipedia, I always Wikipedia the person right away. Not not because I'm looking for something bad. Sure, I'm just, just interested. Because, I'm just interested. I want, I want to see right. the photo and where was he or she born or whatever. But Allison, she, you could I, you could see she was like, oh shit! I just yeah. read. Oh, sorry, just went, yeah, I just, oh, it's fine. Entire, I just read this entire like series and like this person what, wasn't a good person. No, it was awful. And, yeah, like for awful. those that don't know, she was a pedophilia. You know, she she really helped facilitate her husband's pedophilia. She did it for with several children, like for decades. Like it was awful. Yeah. And it's and it colors. It colors, you know, I have an art history degree, so I know about being able to try to separate art from the artist, but I can't <laughs> Not with that one. And I, and, I, and I do realize that this is an entire other conversation, but- But it's going to be relevant to things I ask or say later. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Oh, right. <laughs> so, okay. And this is a problematic- There is person. a line, there really yeah. is a freaking line where like, you know, okay, this, uh, was this guy a product of his era or this or that, or right. it was this woman- that that Miss Babylon stuff that that's beyond what Allison read to me. I was like, wait, this is not this is not somebody that said you know kind of espousing a bad view in a book. I mean, this is like this is horrifying behavior for decades. And what's sad is that Miss of Avalon was such a massive, massive, like beacon for for all of us who wanted to hold up like a feminist Arthurian tale and and wanted to find ourselves in books and stuff and and it was it was crushing you know yeah um so it, it will this part of the conversation is going to be relevant and even if it's not whatever it's interesting so yeah, right you're right you're 100% right so um but anyway that my journey was different is what all I'm saying and like you I walked around loving interview for the longest time. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans within your Anne Rice contacts, like having started reading them, but I did, I, I journeyed over only having read interview. Um, we popped over there. I was at her house. This was shortly before Stan Rice died, but like, you know, you could walk by her house and she had a garage sale. Like it was like all this banana stuff and, and it was just really cool, but I didn't ever, (laughs) I didn't get around to reading the second one until years later. And I don't know why I couldn't explain why I really liked interview. Um, and I knew that the vampire list out was good as I was reading along, but the difference, and it's funny because as we age, we come to books differently, right? Yep. So the difference for me with, with that book was that I had a baby and the scene where he is 
feeding from and kills a baby, like I cried and I put it down and I didn't want to come back to it because my baby was the same age. And then he feeds on the mother and I eventually came back to it like a couple of weeks later, because this was also happening, God, with Game of Thrones coming out. And like my husband wanted to throw the TV out because I started crying when they killed the baby in Game of Thrones. And I was like, I can't do this world that people are navigating as a mother. It's just really difficult. Yeah. Um, I did come back to it, though. And I was like, God damn, like, lady, you and your incest, like he turns his mom into a vampire and then just fucks oh, yeah. her for the rest of the book. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then the wishing hour, though, the wishing hour books of the Mayfair with the well, holy cow, that's all incest. I was like, yeah, not expecting that at all. OK, so which wait, I haven't so- read that, but because people told me that's a lot of incest. So oh, I just wow. never read it. Like generation to generation to, I mean, like, yes, like, n- like endlessly. That's what it's all about. Yeah. But I wanted to, just because you brought up New Orleans. So sure. this was interesting. I had read the original trilogy by then. I read Interview, Lestat, and Queen of the Damned, and Witching Hour. As you know, I read that to Allison. So not even that long ago, in December, Allison and I went to New Orleans for Allison's birthday. Mm-hmm. And well, and then Allison said, she was like, hey, do you want to, we're here. You want to go like where Anne Rice lived, you know, or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah. And Anne Rice was alive. And we went to that pink house in the garden district. That's, that was like a big one, I guess. We went to this other one where she had written, I think last year in Mayfair. Yeah. And so we went to these two houses and at the time it felt like we were, we wanted to be around some of the magic. That's what it felt like to me. Sure. I had to go to the bathroom in the garden district and Allison's like, oh, hey, I found uh, there's like a little Molly kind of thing here. We go to it and in there, there's a coffee shop. Yay. And a bookstore. Yes. Wow. The garden bookshop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lovely place. I, not only that, that like I was not expecting this at all. I walk in all like all my books are there. <gasps> like, Whoa, this is awesome. Like I'm, in, the bathroom, you know? I'm in New Orleans right now. And then there's a whole section for Anne Rice. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know what? I read those three, four actually. And, and so I had them send me, ship me six paperbacks. And one, two of them, I read four of them so far. I haven't got to the other two. And Alice and I go to New Orleans or finish New Orleans. We come home a f- couple days later, Anne Rice dies. Oh, wow. And I was like, we were like, oh, wow, holy shit, you know? And then I went out into the mailbox and the package was there with the six books. <gasps> wow. It's not so cosmic, but it was enough of a cosmic wink where it was like, hey, Josh, you ordered these. They arrived on the day she died. Like, read these. Yeah. And you love the first three and you love that, you know, just go ahead. So then so began like just the bender I've been on where I've read like eight or nine in a row or something now. Wow. So, Went to New Orleans, not even really thinking about it in those terms. And it became very Anne Rice centric. And, <laughs> and afterwards, especially with what happened. Were you following her, her social media at all? No. So, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but not, not like even on purpose. Cause I followed her during the, uh, the last administration. Yeah. And, and she was, you know, daily, hourly outraged, but yeah. I was following her during that. Yeah. So she she's very liberal on some sense and then not in others um and so that's where some of the the problematic things come up with Anne Rice and so I've I used to follow her social media a lot and so I now walk a line of where I love some really cool innovative things she did I love the place she carved out in horror 
Um, although I am curious, just because I'm, I'm not quite as familiar with some of the history going back that far, like, did other women benefit from what she did? Because I don't really remember seeing a lot of other women. No, it, it really seems like an island. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't remember seeing a lot of counterparts. Yeah, yeah no, I'm with you. I, I, okay. I mean, um, tough, but it doesn't seem to have the same, like Stephen King, Dean Kuhn seemed to carry waves for a lot of male writers, but Anne Rice seemed like on an island or something. Yeah, well, and one of the things that she did, and the reason why I'm gonna, I, I brought that other thing up first is because like, there, I, I love like certain things she did and then other things I'm like, oh, Anne. <laughs> oh, Anne, what are you talking about? <laughs> because um, like, I do also love the, so going back to some of the things I love, I do love uh, the way interview is set up, the device she uses as, the interview to tell the story, oh, yeah. which is now like the bread and butter of like Taylor Jenkins Reid, who we all love from Evelyn Hugo and and Daisy Jones. And yep. so I'm like, it's it's just wonderful to to kind of see. I mean, maybe it happened before, but I don't remember a, you know, somebody who used it so successfully. Yep. Yeah. And, and then you know? it's like epistolary, right? Just like yeah. Dracula and Frankenstein. And in its weird way, it's like epistolary. Like I just I really love what you just said because sometimes as a person who writes books, sometimes the conceit, the premise, the idea can, can be enough for me in and of itself, just in yeah. terms of like, man, where did, where did that come yes. from? And the idea of like interview, I mean, it sounds silly to say it so spelled out, but interviewing a vampire yeah. about his life, what a freaking setup. Well, because let's also think about it. They're supposed to remain in the shadows. And to that point had always been characters that remained in the shadows. But this was one where he's coming forward. And then to use the reason why I think the interview was so impactful, I think particularly in the 70s. And tell, you know, tell me if you think I'm wrong. But I think one of the reasons why that resonated is because um, venues like Rolling Stone were really strong at that oh, time, okay. not just for music, but for politics too. And for like, they would interview writers, they would interview cultural icons. And so when I read it, you know, in the early nineties, I, I was still like, that's what I was reading. Like Nirvana on the cover of Rolling Stone, all these, this range of people. And so in my head, I had this as like a Rolling Stone interview. You know that what I mean? Is amazing. And I hadn't even come close to considering something like that at all. That is an amazing observation. And I, it's just ringing so immediately true to me. Um, I'm just old, hon. Well, no, no, <laughs> because I'm, my I'm, dad I'm, was reading I'm, Rolling Stone in 1976. You know, I was born in 73, but I remember yeah. his like John Lennon Rolling Stones and yep. stuff like that. And, and it, this came out at that time. And I was just kind of thinking about that when I was reading. Like and also, I was in my own Rolling Stone phase. There's, there's an element of, um, I mean, of course, there's an element of them being presented as rock stars even before Listat, yeah. right? Because right. it's like, I mean, even that you could even argue, especially the movie, that they look like members of a band. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know it it's really, true. It really doesn't. Uh, that is not a. I. I. That is those two elements are not far away from each other. They're right next to each other, and I never thought of that. That's brilliant. Well, and then the whole thing with the rock star, you might you might have a giggle because going back to, I mean, I'm 48, so I remember like the internet in the in the early stages and. When Queen of the Damned came out as a movie, there's still like little forums and stuff. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, the internet wasn't what like it is now yeah. like with Twitter yeah. or anything. Um, 
And I remember someone, a, a number of people, but someone in particular was really furious that um, Stuart Townsend was, was Lestat in Queen of the Damned because he's blonde. Lestat is blonde. And someone responded with, no, he's not. He's words on paper. <laughs> I died <laughs> laughing. And it's funny because that person has no idea that that comment still lives in my head rent-free. <laughs> yeah, that is you know? really interesting. I, yeah, I have stuff like that too. I remember when, whenever, I, I don't even want to bring him up, but when Trump was elected, I remember um, this one guy wrote, no, America, what have you done? And that's, that's what I wrote on Facebook. And like, I hear that still. I yeah. hear... I see those words like, no, America, what have you done mm-hmm. all the time? And, and like, he has no freaking idea that like- I know. It's like, it's like a banner. He just wrote it because he was feeling it or whatever. It's like a freaking like floating banner in my head, you know? Yeah. Well, what's <laughs> funny is that I was perfectly fine with Stuart Townsend, like slinking across the screen in his leather pants. Like I was yeah. fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> had zero problems with that that whole thing um so it's just funny to me like what people take away from from things that they feel is their own territory even if they didn't write it you know oh yeah for sure I mean that that's that's everywhere you know I never almost never um engage in this kind of like or not this but that kind of thing on like Twitter or whatever yeah you know I don't there's a side of me that wonders like for those of us who have ways of expressing ourselves, books, uh, maybe even conversation, like what you're doing, um, even in relationships. Um, but let's let's say also, especially books, movies, uh, uh, songs, this kind of thing. Twitter to me is like not a place where I feel like I have to express myself. Right. And, and, so, and I see this this sense, this urgent sense in a lot of people that seems to feel like not only do I have to express myself, but I have to do it in full. Mm-hmm. I have to be represented in full right now right i don't look at that as i'm not like oh this moron and i'm not like oh this i almost like feel like something i feel bad it's like i i I wonder like do they not have another way of expressing themselves and if they don't it makes me kind of sad for them why yeah because books songs conversations are like so such rich endeavors and so lasting compared to like a tweet or something. Right. And so sometimes when I'm on social media and I'll see something break out similar <laughs> to what you just described, I'm like, I, you know, I, I love everyone here. I love everyone. I really do. I love everyone here, you know, and I, I feel like you don't, you don't have to be so mad on either side of this. Like, but, but, it, but man, yeah. It's like, on who it's, is cast, like whether or not he's blonde. I mean, like the outrage. <laughs> I know, I know. I think of it like theater, like a play. Yeah. And if the company came through, and if this was the company, great, let's go to the show. And, and that's how I've always seen it. That, and a lot of time when someone talks about a remake, I'm like, a remake though implies that the first movie is like the movie or something, yeah. right? Whereas like the book is the book. That's our sort of, that's our play. So yeah. the, the, to me, the first movie is just the first company that performed it on stage. That's amazing. Yeah, because I think similarly with, um, I'm such a graphic novel fan. So sometimes like the graphic novel is, it's a different, you'll agree with this. I think it's a different, it's just a different medium. Play is a different medium. Movies are a different medium to tell a story and they're not, you're going to have to use different devices to tell that story in the way that's most effective. And I think that's just all it is, you know, but people have a hard time with it, not always being the pros, you know, like 
Yeah. yeah. I had a moment with, with Bird Box where, this was a strange moment for me where um, I had written the whole novel. I wrote the rough draft of Bird, Bird Box in 06, okay? Mm. So, mm. and it wasn't published till 2014. Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember when I got to the end of the book, because it was a total frenzied, amazing artistic experience. I wrote that rough draft in like 26 days. Wow. And it was, ooh, it was glorious. And you, every night when I went to bed, I knew what I was going to write the next morning. I'd wake up, I would like turn on the coffee machine, sit down, work, then go do my thing, then fall asleep knowing what I was going to write. It was, it was just so fluid, no speed bumps. And I remember when I had finished it all, I was like, man, you never, you never described like what, like the, the characters at all, like what they look like, mm-hmm. like what they are. Like I'm Jewish. Yeah. And I'm like, are any of them Jewish? Are any, are any of them people of color? Are any of them like blonde hair? Blonde? I'm like, right. and there was this thought that crossed my mind that was like, don't. Just let it be whatever it is. Yeah. Just let, just like you're not describing yeah. the monsters. Yeah. Like let the reader see this. And that might sound like lazy to like a writing teacher, maybe. Maybe like, dude. Yeah, you know. maybe to a writing teacher. I'm like, no. I don't know. I sometimes yeah, but, I think readers. But to me, like, it almost became like intentional. Like there was a moment of like, Shh, no, no, no. Let's just, I what I'm trying to get across to reader is the mood, the moment, the scenario, Mallory, and anything else goes whatever <laughs> however they see this so then it almost becomes like a rorschach test or something mm-hmm. and like what do you see in this and i right. but i think that what happens is people get sort of married to like lestat they're like yes you know, they're like especially if you've seen him for like three books or something yeah and like, he has to be this way no, no he doesn't he does not have to be this way the the hellscape that became twitter when when bridgerton was cast differently than it was written Oh my gosh. So much. I just watched season two was so freaking good. Yes. I just watched it and I I think I cried an average of like three times an episode. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh Kate. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That uh, was- but also the the you know, the lead, I keep wanting to call him Jonathan Bailey, which is his actual name. Um, but he just did such a beautiful job with that character. Oh, yeah. Yep, he was he was truly truly great at like, at like um with the problem of like the duty of carrying on the family and protecting yeah. the family, like that whole like thing. He was so good at that. And then, by the way, Allison started watching Sex Education, oh, which I haven't seen. Yeah, it's great. And Kate is also in that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Well, she's she's gonna end her time with that show, just for anyone who wants to know, to keep going with Bridgerton, um, which I don't blame her. <laughs> you know, Bridgerton's amazing. So, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that you have that point of reference because it it does all. It's a similar idea as far as like people are still having hard reactions, like in one way or the other. So many people are so thrilled with the way they cast it versus the way it was written. Um, but, you know, she wrote those books years ago. You know, it's just cool to see like diversity and everything because diversity is historical too. It's not like we just popped out of nowhere. You know? Also, but let, let's yeah. take it back to the like, even if you're some weird ass asshole hardened opinion on this, what about just watch the show? Is it good? Thank you. Yes. Is it good? It's, and if it is, then okay, let's move on. I right mean, on. Really good. It's freaking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm and glad so you like, love it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know what? I actually, um, I had an event in Michigan uh, a couple of days ago and it was at a bookstore in Kalamazoo and I sent Allison photos of the Bridgerton. Well, it was just one book. Um, sent her a photo of it. I was like, look what they got here. And she, she has not read them. 
And she was like, yeah, I was thinking about starting that. So I may start that with her. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. I'd be curious on your follow-up opinions on that. I've only, um, I see, I haven't, I actually haven't read those, but I mean, you know, I have like that, all of that is romance right there. So, and obviously I write in that too, but, and then this is other stuff. Your book was sitting on this shelf right here, which is all the stuff I got signed from library conferences. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I love that. I have that reference where I met you when you were just coming out with Bird Box. Uh, Like I told you the very first event. Oh, like yeah. I was, I was so scared because I even remember the room. I remember uh, it was me and what is her name? Um, you, you know her, uh, Showalter, um, Gina. Oh Showalter. yeah, yeah. In fact, I think I might have something here. Uh, there's just so many that because you, you were on a horror panel, I think too, weren't you? Jonathan Mayberry was there. Yes, I, I have there. that right there Gina too. Yeah. yeah, and I remember like I can remember the audience. I can remember like uh um the table i can remember then going to this other room and sitting at this because it was all literally my first event ever so for those of y'all who don't know um because i had already talked to him about this so we're taking off on it but um the first time i met josh or the only time i've personally met him aside from this podcast is i at a library conference and uh you know my first reaction was oh so you got to see all those wild crazy ladies (laughs) like bum rushing the stage whenever it was time to (laughs) sign books and I cannot tell you whenever Lemony Snicket, oh my gosh, Josh, that was bananas because there was only a hundred spaces for a hundred people oh, in line wow. for him. And there was some, there was some stuff that went down and a friend of mine and I met in line, just watching all the craziness happen. And we've stayed friends ever since. Cause we're like, librarians are not going to like tolerate cutters. <laughs> 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 oh man we're fun y'all come out to our conferences i think um aaron sterling just went so that's been a lot of fun to see her like you know responses from the conference it was just this week. years and years ago we did one at uh my band played at an ala convention oh. in minnesota uh-huh and that was one of the craziest nights of my life where we played but all the librarians came to the bar Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We do that. <laughs> yeah, so it was our band played, and there was like hundreds, and it was the greatest night because everyone there was like, you know, like bookish people. Yeah, people that can talk books, songs, art. You know, uh, like we're doing right now, and we're like playing, and then talking them after, and between the sets, and drinking, and I was like, it's pretty badass, man. And our there's a librarian friend of ours named uh, Bill Harmer who set all that up. He mm-hmm. William Harmer. Anyway, he's a he's a librarian that's in um. He, I'm just, I'll just tell you this real fast because it's apropos. He gave us an idea to tour libraries, my band. Yeah. And and we were like, what what are you talking about? That is amazing. Yes. And then Bill set up like a nationwide tour of public libraries that ended up being documented on uh, This American Life. Oh my gosh. And I love that show. I must have missed that episode. This is a while ago. This was like, oh, five. Oh, you know what I mean? I would have totally had you because I was a branch manager at a public library. I wish I'd known. And where were you? Where were you at? In Corpus Christi. For when I was a public librarian, I was in Corpus Christi. But I've, as a school librarian, I've been both here in Austin and in Corpus Christi. So you're in Austin right now? Yeah. Oh, Austin is so good. I went to college at UT and then went home when I wanted to have a kid, like to be close to my parents, and then came back whenever I was like, okay, he's old enough now for me to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, um, 
I am very curious, Josh, because you had some things, some talking points that you wanted to discuss, and I have some too, uh, but I know that you were just so excited to be able to talk about Anne Rice. So I want to yeah. give you the floor on a talking point that, you know, really matters. Yeah, well, okay. Or one as many thing, as you want. Yeah. One thing that's blown my lid, and, and again, the I, we already covered this a little, is, is that just shattering the idea that this wasn't for me, you know, that whole dumb... Yeah. I should have obviously known that through the years, but you know how you are. you you read what you're reading and you move on to other things. You go and somewhere along the line, Anne Rice just kind of I don't know. I didn't even think about her much until I started reading this series again, or, or for the first time, and it struck me that like, wait a minute, if this these are like gender at some point genderless yes yeah not only that there's a key moment and I think it's either Pandora or Blood and Gold. There's a key moment where Marius and Pandora are kind of dating, I guess you could say. They're both vampires. And Marius says something to the effect of like, you know, you're not acting wifely or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Pandora says to him, like, don't you understand? That's the best thing about what we are is that we're beyond man, woman. We're beyond husband, wife. We're beyond. And I'm like, dude, when did she write this? Right. He's writing this stuff in the 90s and the 80s and... And I'm thinking like, this is so freaking ahead of its time in that way. Mm-hmm. The, the stars, I mean, not just the stars, the Pandora, here's a book called Pandora. Here's Marius's whole story. Here's obviously the vampire Lestat. And they're all, it's not even a matter of um, uh, gay or bi, or it's not even a matter of those. It's like beyond all that. Right, right. It and doesn't then, center that. It, it's part of it, but it doesn't center like... Uh, as as something that's othered right it's sent right. it's it's part of who they are right and in, in, for me i was like man had i read this if i would have read this in uh the 80s when i was you know growing up or whatever i would have it would have been like the most punk rock thing i've ever it was like so it just seems so like so strong of her mm-hmm. and i did not know that and so I'm like, is this what people mean when they were calling this erotic or were they mistaking the fact that she actually did write some erotica for these, you know, for like, she's an erotic writer because there are some scenes in these, in these books. I mean, but the bulk of this is, is is like, you know, the stories like, um, I mean, all of Memnock the devil, there's, it's, you know, it's about heaven, hell, God, the devil. I mean, okay. Maybe there's some like some scintillating moments, but not really. It's not like, well, but if you look at some of the others, there's more like, you know, uh-huh. Vampire Lestat has a lot of sex in it and it's a lot of incestuous sex with his mother. So I think people were kind of like, this is different <laughs> and in yeah. that way, because if you look at what was out at the time, unless you were a genre writer, you weren't seeing that unless it was men, because, you know, you still have like Henry Miller and all of those other people out there writing whatever they want. The joke in romance though, is that they never write it well. Um, So, (laughs) because we always take excerpts from these like men writing sex scenes. I mean, it's huge in Romance Landia, just like to, for, to see occasional excerpts from, from where men have written sex and it's rarely good. Um, And it's not even, because they also often don't know how our parts are. (laughs) They don't know how our parts work. <laughs> just so you guys that are listening, just be more aware of our anatomy <laughs> when you're writing about us. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had a weird moment where recently my manager and I were talking about how 
all my books are sexless. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no sex scenes at all in any of them. And we were even talking about even Bird Box. Here we have a pregnant yeah. like, star as a pregnant woman. We never hear about the dad. We never meet him. We never, there's no flashback to when she got pregnant. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's like she's pregnant. Here we go. And he and he was like, why do you why do you think that is? And then there was kind of weird. I was like, ah, I don't know. And then there was silence on the phone. We're like, oh, well, let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's not always necessary. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, there's it, it. You put it in there if it's necessary. And it, for also, your, I, I yeah. feel like it's what you just said. I I feel like it's like I don't feel like it's something that I would like. How do I put it? Like. Like when there's a scary scene, I'm like, oh, I got it. I got it. Right. Like a sex scene, I wouldn't be like, oh, I got it. I'd be like, uh, or I, I hope this is right. I hope this is good. So I'm right. just like, yeah, forget it. Like, we don't need that. Well, like I just interviewed, like my newest episode that's out right now at the time of this recording is Erotic Romance. And I interviewed V Castro um, okay. because what what that does, and this is, and I think it's relevant to this because I think Anne Rice is doing some similar things as far as um, it's mixing the worlds, you know, of romance and horror. And again, I think she started all of this when Gothic romance was massive, but she took it in, in to in a different place. Um, and even with V Castro and in, in like some of her stuff is very sexual and the stuff, some of it is erotic in nature, as far as maybe the world or the setting, but doesn't always even have sex on the page. She, in, in the final oh, porn star, yeah. I don't remember seeing any sex on the page, although they're making a porno, you know, because when you include it, and this will be true, it's, it, it's a craft like anything else. Erotica and romance are a craft like anything else. And you put, just like you do, things on the page that need to be there. Because right. if it's not moving the story forward, there's no point in putting it in there. Mm-hmm. And so, and and I think Anne Rice is cognizant of that. It is my personal opinion that she is trying to walk both worlds too. It is my personal opinion that she's trying to write kink. She's trying to write um, eroticism. She's trying to write a lot of things within the confines of what I was telling you before about what publishers would allow, um, which changed over the course of her career because publishers allowed different things at different points of her career. So her writing also changed. Of course, she grow as a writer, but what she was allowed to write as a woman writing was different. Men were always allowed to write whatever they wanted, but she still had to work within the confines of the patriarchy and what they were allowed to write. She's still trying to squeeze it in though, because she also doesn't pulp. You could write whatever you wanted, but she Uh doesn't want to write that. She wants to be sold in a bookstore Uh alongside other major writers in the genre. So I, as someone who straddles both genres, and is cognizant of the time in which she's written each thing. I think she's trying to work within the confines of what publishing allowed with what she wanted to put out there as far as like how sexual it was or wasn't. But she's also she's also a craftsperson, right? She's gonna oh, yeah. write, she's gonna write it if it needs to be there. She's not if it doesn't need to be there. You know? Let me ask you this, because this is that's really interesting, super interesting what you're saying. So, like, do you see it as less noble, more noble, whatever, that someone, she obviously wants to be, to sell books. She wants to be like a pop novelist. Like she's like the Beatles wrote pop songs. She's writing pop now. Do you see it as, um, wow, brilliant how she was able to sort of Trojan horse some of, some of the things we're discussing Mm -hmm. into a pop format? Or do you see it as it's not noble that like she was kowtowing to like rules that we all know that she probably could have easily 
and probably wanted to break. No, I think she did what she wanted to do. She still worked. I think she still worked within the confines because look, she wrote erotic at the same time. She just used yep. a different name. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like those things she put out there in the way that she wanted, because when you finally get to it, you will see that, that Anne Rice wrote whatever the hell she wanted in yeah, that I, other I, name. Alison Redfield. <laughs> I even, here, wait, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, hold on, just a, in Belinda. Yeah. In all capital letters, Belinda. So this yeah. answers that question right there. This novel is dedicated to me. Yes. <laughs> And that does that tell you everything yes. that I just said, right? Yes. Everything you just said. Yep. I didn't even know about that dedication, but that tells me I'm correct. <laughs> yes, 100%. She's like, this is me. I'm free. Yes. And that's yes. exactly, I think, I mean, and look, I have two pen names because like I do this podcast and, you know, I don't want my nosy Theos finding me. So, <laughs> you know, we all have these things for different reasons, but it's also brand. It's also market. Like, so anybody looking for her erotica was going to look for that name because they're, they don't even know it's her. So, you know, we didn't know it was her until like the movies came out and she was famous in a different level. Oh, wow. Really? Oh yeah. Um, I think, you know, having worked at, cause I worked, I worked in a bookstore through graduate school and stuff too. And I just sort of remember when that happened. Um, and everyone was like, oh my God, it's her, you know, and it was a big deal when people found out, you know, oh. <laughs> but she had been doing it for a while already, but so people knew how to access what they wanted, you know, and she knew how to write for, for that audience. And so, and this was going on. I mean, those books sold too. We can go on Pinterest and find all these amazing covers of old erotica books, right? I think she was navigating a very weird like parameters, but with each book, she was she was able to get away with more, just like anybody else, you know? Yep, for sure. Well, the yes, the Mayfair witches. Now, where I I don't know what year I have them like all here in front of me. Um, she had done a few, and obviously she has some major hits, right? With mm -hmm. Interview and with Lestat and with Queen of the Damned, and even with um, the first Mayfair Witches. But then Lasher and Taltos become like, oh boy, whoa, Lasher is insane in terms of like, whoa, how did yeah. like, how is a best-selling novelist getting away with writing this stuff? And I know Stephen, Stephen King kind of has a moment, like like in It, there's the weird thing in the sewer later, and and there's he's got a couple of them, not like this. No, this is like next level, next level. It's not just imaginatively weird. It's like, it's like, how is this permitted? Like if this was her first book, if Lasher was her first book, not a chance. Right. Right. Um, that wouldn't have happened. Right. Nope. Um, so that kind of leads me to and obviously coming from the world of romance, contending with a lot of the same things, my question to you is, I mean, do you think that they hold up? What, or, or do you think there's some titles that do and some titles that don't? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, Allison is reading them as well. She's a couple behind, but she's gonna burn right by me because she always does. Um, but this is this weird thing where you're, you'll see the, incredible writing I think a lot of people call it the purple prose of I mean I don't even know if that's an offensive term or not but I, but I, I know what they mean by like flowery or, or more involved whatever prose I think that's a reference to purple and pink being covers for romance novels okay so then so then you know I guess, how you were saying red and black yeah it's yeah yeah, yeah. 
I, I this is my bookseller and I'll, I will tell you Alma Katsu is like you're so full of all this information oh, <laughs> isn't, she, isn't she awesome she's amazing yeah yeah, I love yeah. yeah, she's, yeah but she told I, me I have all these weird factoids and it just comes from being in the weird part of the industry where we, we you know we sold the books and we moved the books we <laughs> so there's these there's like alternating and I almost had read something similar about Philip K Dick where there would be like sort of the um poppier writing and the more accessible and then far out madness right and her I see a similar thing where um interview is more like it's complex and richer and like the writing is at a level I can only like fantasize about and then and then Pandora and Merrick and <clears throat> no not really Memnock Pandora and Merrick and maybe some of Queen of the Dam is more like straight up pop song I mean you can just feel it it, 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 at first, it almost feels like someone's mailing it in because right. you just finished a book of hers that was so elaborate and so well written. Armand the Vampire, so like like interview, like a, just an unbelievable level. Like watching like a like a like a dancer, so mm -hmm. fluid. And you know, I think of like writers like Virginia Woolf, Nabokov, uh, Truman Capote. These writers that were like had such a grasp of actual writing. Right. And, 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 you know, when you see that kind of thing in, in music, you know, you could be like, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, who cares if he's great at the guitar? Like, I don't know. I don't like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Maybe you do. But in writing, it's different, though. It's like, I don't care if I'm into this, into this genre, subject, whatever. If you're a gene, like an actual right. genius writer, writer. Yeah, I want to I see that up close. So she has those, but they alternate with these what feel like just quick, like, popped out like a pop song or something right but those books are great too so right. the question do they hold up the actual yes a hundred percent um i think in terms of like a body of work obviously interview to me like i already told you i think it's like all time all time horror novel but the whole thing when you take it rather than take each individual one and i think about this same way with my, with my own stuff meaning this is like my dream or something well, it's the body of work that I'm taking into account rather than each individual one. So I'm literally, I'm 12, 13 deep out of 18 of these vampire witches. And it starts to become this amazing quilt of mm -hmm. characters, um, ideas, settings, and alternating even writing styles. Yeah. So when I see it that way, does this series hold up? Yes, 100%. 100% in terms of craft thinking spirit all that if i was going to take individual books i don't know i don't know if pandora i don't know if the body thief like these are these are like poppier what about you how do you see that i think that it's clear from i mean from the very beginning right when we look at interview i think we still hold interview up i mean even in its problematic elements because she i have problems with um certain things there when she died um you know, there were, there were members of like the black community kind of going, well, good riddance because, you know, the way she treated slavery, slaves as disposable, which is, I realize they were considered property, but no one wants to see themselves reflected in literature that way. So I understand, you know, because as a Latina, I mean, I know what it's like to be disposable in fiction. So, um, so I understand that even when there's problematic, there's a couple problematic things like that what and consent consent is also a problem but i also recognize that it is a 
really good piece of fiction. So here's my take is that even when she's doing poppy work, like what you're saying, it's very clear going back to even this first book that she's aware of craft. She knows how she knows about craft. Mm -hmm. And as a writer, you can attest to the fact that you get better with every book you write as far as your visceral understanding of the craft, right? Yes. So I think those were conscious decisions. Whenever she yep. pulled back and wrote pop books, I think those were conscious decisions to craft in that way. So I don't think they're lesser as far as like, I mean, I haven't read those, but what I mean is like, I, I don't think they're lesser as far as like her ability. I think they were choices. I a hundred percent agree. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to guess if, I, if she was here, she might tell me otherwise. But I'm going to guess that it has to do with the actual character. Like Pandora sure. is a popular one. And Pandora is a very spirited, like hard-nosed, awesome vampire. And I think that she wanted, I would, I would guess that she would want Pandora's story to be more like modern and upfront and like cool. Yeah. Whereas Marius is this old, you know, you know, <laughs> like everything, you know, from ancient Rome. And so his story needs to be embellished and have all that like classicism yeah. to it so absolutely agree with you that i would think that about what you're saying yeah they, they've got to reflect the voice then i'll tell you the one that i noticed what you're talking about when you're saying black people and people of color merrick mm -hmm. was so i read that merrick is the first um crossover of the witches and vampires mm. and i was like super excited to what's merrick about and it turns out that Merrick is either half black or I think she's half black, but, and she talks about the Mayfairs as the, she talks about the white Mayfairs. So, and I'm like, oh, what, what's going on here? And it turns out that Merrick and her family are like voodoo. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it all kind of felt like, I was like, I was like, this one feels, this feels like a, a cliche, like a stereotype, right. a cliche. This one, all of a sudden my, that, and that was like nine or 10 books in. And it was one that I'm so excited for. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. And so and I, when I noticed that one, you know, I noticed that one on my own before this conversation, that vibe that you were talking about earlier. Well, and I have a quote from her um, that will kind of go back to what you're saying with that one, where feelings come in, you know, that I share, <laughs> even though I haven't read that one, when, that, when I was seeing, you know, comments on social media, you know, in the wake of her death, I mean, I understood, you know, I totally understood. I hadn't gone that far in her books, but, and honestly, it was really hard after Lestat for me to, for me to keep going. Um, I did dive into Queen of the Dam, but I kind of felt like it was like fun and campy, like what I had read right. of it. And, and I, and I actually enjoy that because I felt like, I mean, I laughed out loud when I read Dracula on certain scenes because I it was campy and I'm like, but that's fun. Like there yeah. are times where I want camp, you know, but yeah. um. Yeah, with, with interview, there was other things too. I mean, you can see, like, I think, and again, you've read most of her books. I'm looking at one right now. Um, pedophilia is just in a lot and incest is in a lot. And, and, and it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, no. you know, it's uncomfortable. It's an erotic book. Belinda opens, it's, because uh, Allison had read a few, opens with like a 13 year old girl and I'm like, wait a minute. It's awful. I was yeah, like, what, what is this? That's where I don't think she holds up because I think she was, 
I don't know if it was her kink. I don't know what it was, but it's not okay. You know, pedophilia is to me. And I know like people are like from fiction explorers, look, Anne, Anne or anybody can write what they're going to write, but yep. we can have, we can have honest reactions to it. Yep, I mean, and I was just like revisiting, like preparing for your interview. I was just like randomly opening pages on the books that I have that I had read, but it's, you know, it's been a long time. My child's 11. That was the last time I read honestly sat down to read Anne Rice and um, was when he was a year, like a couple months old, actually. Um, and I just opened it up to a random page and she's talking about Claudia in a pedophiliac way. And I was like, ew, you know, how did I miss that the first time? And oh, I'm weird. Because, glad oh, that sorry. I missed it the first time, you know? It's almost like she, and I'm not, I'm not uh, yeah. giving out, but it's almost like she gives herself an out, right? Because she's like, well, she was changed at 13 or however old like yeah is. but she's actually 79 you know what i mean but so he's talking about that and like when she's first changed like he's oh, yeah, looking yeah, okay. at her yeah. and he's and she's saying if i read it she said um she lived to put her arms around my neck and press her tiny cupid's bow to my lips and put her gleaming eye to my eye until our lashes touched and laughing we reeled about the room as if we were in the wildest waltz father and daughter lover oh, yeah. and lover and i was like that's during the play what that's when she's changed right that's during the play yes like, like yeah, referring yeah. to father and daughter lover and lover it's like oh and <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm with you. There's some weird shit in there. Man. <laughs> yeah, there is weird shit in here. And I know that she's talking that she's here's the issue. It's not just that and Elma Katsu talked about like exploring monstrous things when you're writing horror, but she's doing a little bit more than that here because the reason and this is where people will find this problematic where they won't find your books problematic or Alma's problematic or any other horror problematic and that she's romanticizing these vampires too so these are sexy vampires they're romanticized like the setting is beautiful the setting like everything about these books is like she creates them in a way where we want to be a part of this world too you know mm -hmm. but then she throws that in there and it's like that's where it's different than a regular monster you know what i mean and yes. so it's like well, mm. <laughs> You know, so that's where it brings into question what holds up and what does it because I honestly, I mean, I think I might have been in my late teens, early 20s when I read interview, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I processed that part when I was. Well, that's what I was about to say, because you at 18 or whatever, you, you, it's not like you would have gone for that idea then. So, right. So it's not just the era. I think it has more to do with what you just said, where it's almost like there's something that happens because you're reading about a monster in this fantasy world and this. And as you said, you want to—you're almost seduced by the world itself, mm -hmm. the setting. Um, each of these vampires are not only like beautiful; they're also like insanely wealthy. Yeah, like every single one of them. And so yes, they are. I want, <laughs> I want some of that. <laughs> I want stacks. You—you <laughs> you almost inadvertently are saying you like read what you just said: father, daughter, lover, love, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe he means that. Maybe it's like you just sweep it aside. You don't mm -hmm. even think about it in terms of like. What's happening to Claudia right now? Like, you don't think about it like that. But if think I read it for it. the first time now, I would see that. Right. Yeah. You yep. know, because here's the other thing. And this is where, this is where it, it really comes in with like my walking both worlds in that for the last 
10 years or so, the world of romance has really undergone a, undergone a reckoning. A lot of changes happening in there. Um, and there, it's still it's still happening. You know, the, this reckoning is still going on. And um, what it's been able to do is, uh, you know, m make more room for people of color, make more room for queer voices. Um, but at the same time, I just, and I think a lot of this has to do with more, you know, younger people coming to the table, older people, you know, dying off, if you will, or whatever, um, is that, you know, younger, younger audiences, and I, and I'm speaking as someone who also witnessed this as a librarian to teenagers for 15 years, you know, what their interests are changes, what they're um, accepting from their fiction changes, what they, you know what I mean, they, they come with their own cognition to the table. And so what they read is different and what they tolerate in their literature is different because Anne Rice did not like when people didn't, didn't like her work <laughs> or anybody else's for that matter. She got really angry with the romance or with, with the reaction that people had to the Romance Writers of America nominating a book and they still do this. So it's still a problem, uh, but nominating a book for an award where the heroine of the novel was a woman in a concentration camp, like a prisoner in a concentration camp, a Jewish woman who falls in love with her Nazi guard and is saved when she converts to Christianity and they live happily ever after. It's gross. It's gross in every possible way. Um, and people, and that was put out by Bethany house, which writes Christian fiction. So of course there's a conversion, right? Um, and this was in 2015. And the thing of it is, is that I followed Anne Rice's socials because I was just always curious about like what thing would fall out of her mouth next. Um, and she never really kind of stopped writing similar things, but she was outraged that people said, hey, romance writers of America, you need to do better. Um, this is not okay to nominate because I think there's a difference between people, and here's the thing, I've never advocated for censorship. And I don't think anybody yeah. was saying this book, like let's ban the book, but they did call on Bethany House to make better choices with what they decide to publish as far as like, hey, this actually causes harm. Anti-Semitism is still a violent hate crime that's happening and a problem. And can we not romanticize like this horrifying story? Um, and can we, Romance Writers of America, not nominate this shit for an award? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Anne Rice went on a massive, like, she was furious that people would have these feelings. And, you know, they're, they're doing the thing they do where they leave one-star reviews and speaking out about it. But like, the more she would, and she engaged the public, the more she would engage the public, it, the more people get angry and because of course they're like this shouldn't be hard <laughs> where do you where because I, yeah. I what's the name of that book by the way i have it here uh da, 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 da. and this has not stopped happening even this year the romance writers of america nominated a book for an award that romanticized a man who slaughtered and did like native americans by the hundreds um and people were like can we not do that it, it is fucked up. They also had another book on nominated for an award that had like Nazi flags all over. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, there was a book um, at a bookstore near me where a guy who I love this guy, he had told me, I think he, it was a romance. Like 
I think it was a, maybe the one you're describing. It was the a girl in like a guard, like a Nazi yes. guard, right? And I'm Jewish, as I told you. Yeah. And it's like, I was like, I don't fucking want it. He's like, you know, like, I don't want to like, I don't mean, you know, when people are like, um, oh, we should be allowed to make like Hitler jokes or whatever. I'm like, yeah, it's not even about, it's not even about like you're allowed or not. It's just not funny. Thank you. I mean, that's the thing is like, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I have very hard opinions about American Dirt, but I've never once said, let's ban the book. But right. I feel like we need to be able to have open dialogue about how it causes harm when people do these things. And in that case, with American Dirt, it's a white writer writing Latino characters, making horrifying cartoons of them and and perpetuating stereotypes. I mean, when I say they cause harm, you know, my people like have this, particularly under the Trump administration, but even before and even now, they're in these horrible migrant camps. And under the Trump administration, they were dehumanized to the point where like toddlers were standing trial for their life that couldn't speak English, like toddlers, you know, they were taken from top children were taken from their parents. They weren't fed. And when these kinds of things are out there, like American dirt at the same time, I'm sitting here going like, okay, fine. Write what you want to write, but we can have our hard opinions about it. And so Anne Rice had a hard opinion in favor why that exactly well see i have some quotes here and i'd like to read them because i think it's important that when we reflect on our reverence for things that we go into it fully informed you know um and and that's all i ask is that people come in with information so that i have the name of that book let me see it's right here it's called for such a time okay and it was put out by bethany books and it's kate breslin and so Anne Rice says, this is her quote, there are forces at work in the book world that want to control fiction writing in terms of who has a right to write about what. Some even advocate the out and out censorship of older works using words we now deem wholly unacceptable. There are critical, some are critical of novels involving rape. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Some argue that white novelists have no right to write about people of color and Christians should not write novels involving Jews or topics involving Jews. I think all of this is dangerous. I think we have uh, to stand up for the freedom of fiction writers to write what they want to write, no matter how offensive it is. And we must stand up for fiction as a place where transgressive behavior and ideas can be explored. Internet campaigns to destroy authors accused of inappropriate subject matter or attitudes are dangerous to us all. Okay, so I think That's we both understand. Hard. I think we both understand <laughs> yeah. what, what yeah. she where she thinks she's coming from. Right. But I think that what's oftentimes lost, like I have a Trump supporting friend, which what? And even just the last time I saw him recently, um, he brings up like I don't remember what the subject was, but he was just saying like in and of itself, oh, like is voter ID is that a terrible thing to have? Like voter ID? I'm like, oh my god. So then I'm like you what you're missing and i think what ann is missing and what you just read is there's also time and timing if she had said that exact thing to you one night at a party apropos of nothing you would be like well yeah i mean in theory we sh- writing should be free whatever but while this actual discussion is going on about the book the specific book that you are talking about and with my friend it's like it's not just you're like posing this logic but the the set and setting here is this is that you were told that an election was phony 
And so now you're trying to come up with new rules. So like, it, it, it's not an, uh, an isolated thought you're having. There's context here. And I would say that same thing to Anne Rice. Like, yes, in theory, I, I get what you're saying. And, and, and nobody's saying, you're not saying any different. You're not saying that it should be banned or censored. But time and timing by you stepping in or online and really vehemently saying this kind of sounds like you're defending the book itself. Well, precisely. And she said, um, she goes on to say that uh, Rice admitted on Facebook that she's not yet read this novel, but that she plans on buying it. And uh, that she said that she was against what's happening, regardless of the contents of the book. Right. So it's just that, of course, people have feelings about that. And I do want to read a response from Sarah Wendell. Sarah Wendell is the host of Smart Bitches Trashy Books. She is the OG of romance podcasts. I adore her. but you know she was also a person who like was very forward every single time that romance writers of america nominated these horrifying books and they do this too often um and what's worse is that they changed like two years ago they changed the name of the award in question to the vivian award Vivian was a the black woman who founded Romance Writers of America. So I think they thought that doing that would give them a better a better look. But then they keep nominating Nazi books. So you know, it's like this isn't helping you. Um, so anyway, I'm going to read Sarah's response because I think it's in line with what you and I think and feel about it which is, she says, comparing the pixelated letters of one person's reaction to a book to the racially motivated public execution and hanging of a human being is not right. This is because Anne Rice was saying they're lynch mobs. Um, And she's correct. It's not right to do that. Yep. Um, She's, I do not advocate censorship, Wendell said. I'm advocating for better judgment and awareness. I question the judgment of the author, the editor, the publisher, and the reviewers from such major publications who miss the offensiveness of the premise of For Such a Time. Fiction is certainly a place for transgressive exploration, she continued, but the setting of Breslin's novel isn't the problem. Recentering the story of the prisoners on a tale of Christian conversion and the salvation and redemption of a Nazi commandant who committed genocide reframes and erases history and forgives the horror of the execution of more than 17 million people in order to advance a larger religious perspective. When people talk about marginalization, about appropriation, about revising history, this is what we're talking about. Instead of trying to shut down Breslin and her work, Wendell argued she was trying to explain why and how her narrative choices and the choices of Bethany House to publish her work are painful, offensive, Mm -hmm. and cruelly dismissive of the Holocaust. I don't think either party understands, and I'm beginning to think they cannot or will not. And I think Sarah's reaction is important and needs to be said in this context. Yeah, I I, I totally understand. It's like... It comes back to like, because you'll hear a lot of like right wingers will be like, I want, or even what's happening right now with uh, Twitter, like absolute free speech. Like, but you want to ask Elon Musk, you want to ask him like, okay, let's say that there's a, um, an account that has a hundred million followers. Mm-hmm. And this account says that you actually didn't buy twi- Twitter, that you did it like fraudulently. Mm-hmm. And those hundred million people believe this. And then the the people that represent those hundred in government start to try to change laws because uh, according to the fact that you didn't actually buy Twitter when you did yeah is that speech are we are we still in free speech territory or, right. or were all those people like insanely lied to and blah 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 so 
I think that oftentimes that the right wing thing that what they're saying, and you know this, I don't need to tell you this, but what they're saying is like, I just don't want to get shit for what I'm saying. <laughs> they want to, she wants to write what she wants to write and, and not have any criticism for it. And she doesn't want other people writing these potentially like horrible things <laughs> in the same boat. And I think it is different than, than, you know, exploring transgressive ideas, because again, with her, I think like you were saying, I think she's afraid people were going to come after her work. Right. Right. You know, right. in the same way that they went after this one. Right. Exactly. Like, and, and, and what about her like this, like the 13 yeah. year old girl, like she's probably like, ah, oh, shit, you know? Yes. That's 100% <laughs> what I thought. Exactly. Let me, ask, let me ask you this because this one sounds a little bit um, like that other thing. And, and I'm sure you know, but the, about this more than I do the whole fan fiction thing that mm -hmm. happened like, oh, and that, whatever year that was, I think it was 2000 around there where she got pissed that there was fan fiction. And oh, Lord. like, holy, did you read about that? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. Okay, so. <laughs> no, I didn't, but it doesn't she, surprise me. She was me. upset about it. I read about this. And there was even like um, rumor that she like, like her lawyer had gone after someone that did like fan fiction. And but she said that's not true. The point is, though, she definitely said that, like, stop using yeah. my characters and your stuff. But I'm wondering this because in 2000, she was like 60. Yeah. She wasn't that old, but she was. The internet's new. And I, I am sounding like I'm going to make an excuse for her, but I am going to in this one, actually. Isn't it possible that, like, a 60 year old and, and doesn't know the internet at all is like, what do you mean people are writing about my characters and it's all over online? Like, isn't, isn't that just maybe like, an, like a generational, like, like doesn't S. E. Hinton, really understand se hinton who wrote the outsiders so she's the same age if not older than Anne rice still writes supernatural fanfic online she does yeah yeah so, so like, it's like i don't know i wonder if i could because sometimes like stephen king has had to like take stuff back that he tweeted and sometimes oh, I wonder, yes. i'm like you know what but i mean that's like, a, but that's evolving she never this. took that but if she didn't take that back that's different you know what i mean like i could see her making this she did this statements that i read in 2015 and she never walked that back do you know what i mean like yeah. she because the thing is that there was we all grow we all evolve i mean that i'm not 100 percent the same that i was v castro and i talked about this like there are times where it's a good thing we wrote something now than we did 10 years ago because we are bringing 10 years of experience and growth to the table. Sure. But, mm -hmm. you know, she she only just died. And at no point did she walk any of that back that I'm aware of. Yeah. So it's no, kind of like, I, oh, I guess, man. <laughs> I, you know, there's, there is definitely something like headstrong about yeah. which that's obviously a nice trait. So it's almost like a backhanded insult or whatever. It's like a friendly or whatever, front-handed insult. I don't know what it's called. But, and I'm obviously enamored with this writer as you know yeah, sure <laughs> and so and so I, I just imagine myself at age 60 the internet comes on for the first time and I'm I'm seeing people writing stories about Mallory I would I would have been excited I would have just flat out been excited oh yes I would have been like holy shit dude the people are like writing stories in the bird box world like yeah I guess I would have I, I know I would have I, so I see I, a lot of writers who love it you know because oh yeah you know it's it's a, it's more for them, like more like recognition for them, yeah, you know, and also like what an honor. Yeah. Yeah. What a freaking honor. If somebody wanted to write a story about like Mallory and like what was going on up the street in Bird Box or an Unburied Carol, I'd be like, this is the greatest thing ever. So that was started. I started that sentence trying to defend her. But by the end, I was like, yeah, no, I wouldn't have reacted. <laughs>
<laughs> you evolved in the course of 60 seconds. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, so I don't know. I think it's okay to visit, like revisit our heroes and just kind of with more information. And I, and that's why I put that tweet out last night about like, are, is a horror community okay with that? Cause the romance community does that every day. We revisit like problematic faves. And sometimes they'll say, look, I know this is a problematic book, but I still love it for this particular reason. And I think we can do that. Like I, I can yeah. still love interview, but I can maybe, you know, reserve like certain opinions about you know, sometimes I can separate the art and the artist and sometimes I can't like yeah. I can I can like and I and I will reserve it for interview as far as like I can recognize all the things that interview brought to the table all the things that it did but I may I'm not going to personally per me I you know our lives are short. I'm 48. I'm in my midlife. I'm sitting here going, how much time do I have left? Like I may go ahead and pass on some more for myself because I'm exploring other things. And I'm like, I, I will have a hard time coming to an Anne Rice book now that I know all these things that I've known for like a couple of years, but it's harder for me with that in my head to, to come to an Anne Rice book now and go, oh yeah, this is great. Like, you know, it, it's harder for me. I definitely understand that. And, and especially with the, like you said, I mean, I, I guess I don't necessarily think about it. We only have so, so much time, but just there are so many freaking options. Um, yeah. That to, why would you even spend it on something that was bothering you at all? I mean, there's no reason. Mm -hmm. But I just want to say this one thing is that uh, what was it called? Miss Babylon earlier? Yes. And how we were saying, like, that's what we're talking about right now. And like outraged online for about this or, or and what she perceives as free speech and it's whatever, whatever, missing the point. And this other thing with, um, uh, and, and the other things you brought up too. They're all like, yeah, uh, uh, you know, but well, nothing like that Miss Avalon thing. I mean, that, that no, was- Miss like, of Avalon is a monster, but here's the thing. Like going going back to what I was saying, they are different things. In fact, that, you know, Marion Zimmer Bradley was committing pedophilia. Yes, right. that is a physical act. What's hard for me is that I am from a marginalized community, twofold, because I'm female and Latina, you know, or, or you know, Latinx. I, I know, you know, I have experience all the time with the fallout from books like this not getting pushback. So, you know what I mean? So I, my, I've been personally affected by some of these things, like with American dirt, I, I really, and, and every, I had Isabel Castro on and I had, v, I mean, V Castro on and Isabel Cañas on, and we had the same feelings about American dirt because yeah, it's not committing pedophilia, but it, it, our community is definitely harmed by perpetuating these ideas. Right. Yes. Um, and the fact that, you know, the dehumanization of us is, is why we've been rounded up into these camps. You know, for me, it hits a, a certain way that it maybe it wouldn't hit other people. I don't know. And, and then, but that's, that's bringing a reader to the table, right? Like every reader's going to have their own experience coming to the table with books. So. Yeah. I, I, I remember the closest thing that I can compare it to in my own life, not that I have to, but, the, but I, sure. so far, it would be like descriptions of Jews. Sure. In, books I was reading from like the 20s and 30s where even if it's the greatest like like writer like Virginia Woolf, Hemingway, all these like these holy shit writers and then you're like ah fuck yeah. and, and you would almost have to like 
<laughs> it was almost like you were taking a walk through like the woods and then you had to like walk around like something dead in the yeah. ground and yeah. you had to convince yourself that you didn't see it or something because it was like man really come on all of a sudden they're talking about a dude with a giant nose that's a jew in it and of course he's the character that like bets on everything or, yeah or he's, or he's like somehow involved with trying to scheme mm. someone and i'm like mm, fuck yeah and then, you it, and then you're like keep reading like the book so that's the closest thing I have to that, but it's that's obviously very, very different. Well, the thing is, is that Anne Rice is trying to me, and I think to a lot of readers, we feel like she's sitting here railing against censorship while she's simultaneously trying to silence our voices. And right. that's, that's why that, it's and that's what I was saying about time and time. That's why it's a pain in the ass. There's no reason for her to say anything. Yes, exactly. Right. Like and, and, and that doesn't mean that's not me telling her to um. Uh, not speak your mind, but it's like literally think about what's going on. Just this book came out. This is a reaction. Why don't you just watch it? Watch it. Right. Unfold. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I mean, that, so I, I think younger people may come to the Anne Rice table differently than maybe we did, like when we first came to interview, um, because they are coming of age at a different time, you know, so they're going yeah. to look back at something differently. And I mean, I think that's okay. We can do that with books, you know? Yes. Although I do find myself like struggling. Like I feel the same way you do where, um, what, what book was it where I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in that anymore. I, I, I have an example. If, if I've lost friends over one book, um, who, because people love it so badly and they really, really don't want to hear negative things about it, which has gone with the wind. Now, I've oh. hated that book like my whole life. <laughs> like even no, when I was 12, I was like, fuck this book, you know? Um, but I, you know, I was friends with a lot of people who still have like ideas of fancy dresses where, you know, being from Texas, I'm like, I just see body odor with those fancy dresses you know? <laughs> and, and sweat and discomfort. That is not, that is not romantic to me um, because we're in the South, like, clothes really made for for England are not the same here <laughs> you were talking about our heat earlier but also like they glad they that book was written as an anti-tom novel I was suspicious of it not just because of its setting whenever I was a kid I was like this feels like it's trying to do something different and I was right as I got older and learned more about that book I learned, oh, it's an anti-Tom novel. It was written for the express purpose of propaganda. Like she went in there trying to paint a romantic picture of the Civil War um, on the South's point of view. Oh, yeah. And she, it worked, you know? And I mean, aside from that, they had a shitty relationship. That was some toxic, that is not romance. That is toxic bullshit. And um, so aside from that, like, but they like romanticized the clan. They did a bunch of stuff and she wrote it as an anti-Tom novel. And I remember um, going to a panel and then staying in contact with the professors on that panel where they were talking about it. And I remember like, this was only two or three years ago where literature, like people I taught, like that taught English in the high schools where I worked were really pissed off that I was like, and I wasn't even angry. I'm just saying, yeah, did you know that was an anti-Tom novel? And I mean, the rage, the rage they had that I even brought that to the table. And so I presented emails that, um, between me and the people that were on that panel where they, you know, these are 
people with PhDs that teach literature at, at UT, like at the University of Texas, it's not like they don't know anything about this. And they didn't care. They were like, but I loved that book when I was 13 was literally their defense. Well, right. <laughs> Right. And I, I feel like I that's it, what Anne was giving me. The, those I made it up to, I think, where her and what's the guy, Rhett? Obviously, Rhett Butler, right? Yeah. I made it up to about the moment where they, like, the war's going on. I think I made it to like 300, like a third of the way mm -hmm. through. And for whatever reason, I was like, I, I was more than aware of every single thing you're talking about, yeah. like, the whole time through. I was like, oh boy, oh, geez, oh, fuck, thank God. Right. Like, the whole time. Through. I'm not sure how that is. God, I don't even know. And I've how never advocated for the banning of it. I just no, think we need to be no. able to talk about things informed. You well, know, <laughs> I'm to, I can't remember the book that I was going to mention, but there was one that where, or maybe it was a movie where I'm like, oh, it's great. And forever I've been like, it's great, it's great. And then I went and watched it and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And that happens. Yeah, that, that totally happens. happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, I mean, if especially if you're a woman looking back at um, like all the teen movies of the 80s, it's all misogyny. And you're just yeah. thinking, like John Hughes aside, like it's all misogyny, you know? <laughs> I mean. I read something about, I read something mm -hmm. about Pretty Pink. I had never seen that one. I still have yeah. never seen that one, which is a weird gap. I, I've never seen that one. That's um, the so, least misogynistic of all of them. Like well, I liked things about that one but like 16 candles was oh my god that's what I'm talking about. where there's jesus like, I, I don't even want to say like 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 a rape or something oh yeah totally and yeah, sexual yeah, assault yeah. left and right you know i mean yeah. it was just ridiculous and then the racism in that movie oh my god revenge um, of the nerds has like a crazy like like where the guy yeah. pretends to be a girl's boyfriend and has sex with her. you're like but at the time you're like oh exactly so we can watch. evolve <laughs> And that's revisit okay. something. No. Um, well, was there anything else that you wanted to add before we say goodbye today? Um, I really would love, and I'm just gonna say it again, I would love a list from you of yeah. badass romance, you know, uh, new old, what whatever, any variety, any era, any author that you are, you know, smitten by, whatever. I would love to read. Um no, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about everything that you, uh, that you just mentioned. Um, and I'm also thinking about one thing that I, one thing I just wanted to bring up that is, is of interest to me and it's so much less sort of powerful than the stuff we were just talking about. But Allison pointed out that this series, there's no unified story in this series, that it's like hmm. each book is like, um, like an examination of a new character. Yeah. Versus like a, like a singular plot, like Wheel of Time, like like leading up to a single moment at the end or this kind of thing, uh, uh, um, what's it called? Well, I didn't read Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones where it's all propelled or leading somewhere. And I thought that was really interesting just as us writers mm -hmm. and to have like that you, you could do a sequel or, or even a series that isn't, that you, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily continue the story. Interesting, yeah, but maybe yeah, just I, in the world. Yeah, and also like, Okay, in, in book one, you talked about, you know, Mary and her and her friend Lisa comes around now and then. Book two, let's let's get to know Lisa. Book three, let's get to know Lisa's friend, John. And then that kind of thing, that's an interesting setup as well. Well, that's why I think she's also speaking from the world of romance, because that's the way romance series are. That's what I was gonna ask. So that's what I was leading to. Was is that a common thing in like romance where it's less of like a singular arc and more of like Hey, here's here's Wendy, here's Dave, here's you know, whatever. So yeah, they're um 
like when you were, we were talking about Bridgerton. Well, each story is going to be a different, the different kids. It's the different kids' stories, like of all the brothers. Yeah. So like the next one is going to be a focus on a different, like people were confused and mad about Renee John Page not returning for this book, but he's not in he's not the center of this there's it's not like outlander where the story continues for those two characters it's literally centers a different couple every novel and brilliant most romance series work that way and that's why i'm like another reason why i think she's kind of coming from that yes because that is like that is a root that is a foundational idea or way to operate so even if she wasn't consciously thinking of that to think to operate that way indicates exactly what you're saying right now. Yeah. Because I can't imagine really if if someone was like, okay, uh, can you write a third book for Bird Box? Yeah. I can't imagine being like, not the my first instinct would be like, well, what happens next? Yeah. Versus, oh, let's let's read about someone up the street, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. And Allison read all of Outlander and has read all of that so far, and we watch that show up to uh, where we haven't finished the new season yet, but we're like in it. And do you love that stuff? I, I, I okay. <laughs> I do, but I also, it got really just, I want her to have other plot devices than rape. Like she just keeps going back to it over Man. and over and over and for yeah. fuck's sake, know. you know, like, and so I, I think it, I don't know if she just ran out of ideas. I don't know. But so it bothers me to read that over and over and over again. Like I can see one or two as far as like the way she used them in the story that particular time, but over and over, Jesus Christ. Like I that dungeon, <laughs> I had no warning because I hadn't read the books. That dungeon scene at the end of like season one. I know. I know what I had no warning. Freaking Allison read the book and and she, you know, and then I was like, holy shit. I was like, Allison, this might yeah. be. Like I've seen like a gazillion horror novels. This might be the craziest fucking scene I've ever seen. Like I've never seen anything like that in my life. I, I love that show though. I do. And I'm, but I'm like, I can't even, oh, whatever. I don't, and we don't have to go down this road right now. No, it's okay. I, I really liked, um, it's funny. So going back to the books, I think she actually, she could use a little editing. <laughs> Is, is where we were going with so far as the books go. So what I tend to do with her books is that I'll like go through and like read along. And then if I feel like she's just kind of putting out words for words and I'll just kind of skip forward until the next like more significant moment in the book happens. And so I haven't made my way through all of them, but I have them, um, they're right up there. So like one day that may happen, but. I had a weird moment where, okay, I read all of Vampire Armand, mm-hmm. right? And then that's Armand and Marius, right? And then in Marius' story in Blood and Gold, yeah, there's a hundred pages of Marius recounting the <gasps> Armand. No, and I was like, oh, man, <laughs> oh I was like, dude, I just... <laughs> okay, unnecessary, Am. <laughs> you're not doing that to me, are you? Like, <laughs> like maybe yeah. you read it again. And I did. I, I read the whole. <laughs> Oh. I read the whole thing and I was talking to Alice and I'm like, oh my God, it's a recounting, but I don't even care. I Good times. Love, I love these, I love these weird vampires so much that I don't even care. And I read the whole, well, I haven't read the whole series, but I read that whole book. Um, I'm so right. glad that you asked me too, though, because I think even with these discussions and you're still saying that you love them, I mean, I think that's great that you are able to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's complete. I don't want people to think that all I want to do is just 
you know, shit on Anne Rice or anything. I just wanted to have like a full conversation. And so thank you for doing that with me. Oh yeah. No, no, no. This is like, you and I are smart people. Yeah. Why? And we like, you know, like if we were at a party right now, we'd both be like, you know, talking about this and all excited and then back and forth. And then afterwards we'd be like, that was freaking amazing. And it was. So thank you. Thank you for, for this. Um, I still like the, I still like interview as a movie too. And I still love Stuart Townsend slinking across that stage, like always, (laughs) Um, you know, Um, and Aaliyah, I think it was, is that, yeah, yeah, she, that was amazing. And and she was beautiful and wonderful in that movie too. So, Um, well, I just really want to say, I appreciate you coming and taking the time to do that. And I hope that you will come on for your books. I, I would love to. I Yay. would absolutely love to. And maybe by then I'll have read one or more of like whatever list you yeah. whatever. And that'd be fun to, to touch someone on that too. I don't, I really don't know much, but I've also never really seen things. I may have read what would be considered romance without even knowing I had. Um, but I I would love to. Yeah. I'm just a I'm just a premise story writing fan. Yeah. So yeah. like anything literally anything goes for me in there, any genre, any writer, any, anything can, you know. I I love to hear that because that's, I mean, you know, women are actually expected to read everything. Right. And so I love that you're sitting here saying like normalizing that the other way around. My husband's a good egg that way too. So um, good man. I love that the first dude I interviewed is that kind of dude. So (laughs) And if you go to uh, ghoulish, say hi to Max Booth. I will. For me, we have the same manager and Max. Um, I produced uh, me and my our manager produced Max's movie. Oh. Um, we need to do something, and Max came here and stayed at our house for one day. Was he only here for one day, and it was amazing um, to have this San Antonio <laughs> up here in Michigan, and it was freaking amazing. So anyway, I will tell him, I see him tomorrow. So you will. So tell him that, tell him we did this and tell him hello and, and have fun there yourself. It sounds amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. If you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Mm-hmm.